Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I'm always a little uncomfortable when a person becomes an icon. You know, when their face gets painted up on mural walls or their image gets put on a t-shirt with some slogan on it. Because I think when someone becomes an icon or a symbol, it's easy to lose sight of them as an actual human, you know, a person. That's something today's book is hoping to correct. It's titled, His Name is George Floyd, and it's written by these two Washington Post reporters, Robert Samuels and Tolu Olurunipa, who talked to hundreds of people to get at who was George Floyd the man? What was his life like? And in this conversation with NPR's Adrian Florido, they talk about how the circumstances that pushed George Floyd's life into being what it was could have happened to any black man in America. Two years after his murder, most people still only know George Floyd for how he died, under the knee of a police officer in Minneapolis. Many don't know how he lived, that he habitually told friends that he loved them, often in all-caps text messages, that he was self-conscious about his six-foot-six-inch frame, and that he suffered from lifelong claustrophobia, that he and his roommate in Minneapolis moved their mattresses into the living room right next to each other. They wanted to watch over each other. They had met each other in rehab, and they wanted to help ensure that they didn't stray. That's Washington Post reporter Robert Samuels. He and his colleague Tolu Olorunipa have written a new biography of George Floyd. What George Floyd understood was that they were in a society that was unforgiving toward their missteps, and they needed to look out for each other if they were going to make it through. The book is titled, His Name is George Floyd, One Man's Life, and the Struggle for Racial Justice. It's out next week. Samuels and Olorunipa say the book is a story about how racism affected every part of George Floyd's life, starting over 150 years ago. And we traced his ancestry back to a great-great-grandfather who was born enslaved in North Carolina, and after the Civil War was able to get his freedom And he quickly amassed a great amount of wealth and land by working the land with his large family. But during the turn of the century, he lost all of his land uh, to fraudulent tax sales and uh, dubious business deals. And he was unable to transfer any of that to his descendants. And we wanted to show why George Floyd came into the world poor. We saw George Floyd's family wealth be stripped away because of racism, and it impacted his life. It impacted his uh, beginning. It made him uh, essentially come into the world born with two strikes as someone who was black and poor in America. One detail that struck me in your reporting and, and that comes up over and over throughout the book is he was really aware that his sort of mere presence as a big black man often scared people. Why did you dive into this aspect of his personality? It's key to understanding those moments that we all saw on the video of Floyd's final moments, his fear of being assaulted by the police from his earliest days. He would go into a room and shake everyone by hand just to put them at ease, just to say, you know, I know I'm a big guy. I know my size may intimidate you, but, you know, look at, look at me eye to eye. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not going to hurt you. And that was something that was a big part of his personality. And even you know, when he got caught up in the criminal justice system and spent time in prison, you know, some of the people in, in, inside the prison said, you know, why don't you use your size to, you know, to exploit the other prisoners? And he said, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I want to be. Um, I, don't, I just want to do my time and go home. I don't want to be seen as a bully. Yeah, it was also one of the cruelest contradictions about himself. 
by the time he gets to high school, he's this tall string bean of a guy. And immediately people say, what you need to do is focus on playing football. And George Floyd was taught that maybe academics isn't the way to escape poverty. Football is. But he was left with a body that if it was not on a football field, it would be seen as something intimidating, threatening, and ultimately one of the things that would make him seem as a threat to a police officer. Your book doesn't shy away from Floyd's missteps. He was arrested on drug charges. He was addicted to opioids. Um, He pled guilty to an armed robbery for which he spent years in prison. And his friends and family seem to speak to you pretty openly about his criminal record. Um, What did they say about his struggles with, with the law? Well, they wanted us to understand that Floyd wasn't someone who wanted to take advantage of other people, but he also was someone who Uh, came from a community that was ravaged by uh, drugs and uh, where police officers often targeted for low-hanging fruit arrest. Floyd was once arrested for just walking through his neighborhood, literally, um, for trespassing. He was across the street from his house, uh, and he was stopped more than 20 times over the course of his life, uh, including by six officers who were later charged themselves with breaking the law. So there was a sense of police corruption that took place Now, Floyd's own mistakes were definitely evident, and we got access to his diary entries and his writings in which he agonized over his mistakes and over the decisions that he made and the uh, struggles that he had to try to break free from addiction and break free from his criminal past. Well, the way he tried to reset his life uh, was by moving to Minnesota in 2017 from Texas, where he'd lived for most of his life. And he signed up for a rehabilitation program designed for Black men. He found a roommate. He managed to rent this fancy townhome in the middle of a middle-class white suburb. For a while, things seemed to be looking up for him in Minneapolis, didn't they? Yeah, this was his dream. He found a job. He was clean. He got this this new townhome with his roommate, uh, the person who he met in rehab. And a few months after he leaves rehab and he's living in this townhome, he comes home after a double shift of working. And he encounters his roommate unconscious and cold on the couch, uh, Big E. And it turns out that Big E had overdosed uh, and he died. And when that happened, the gregarious, friendly George Floyd that everyone knew, he went into isolation. And when one of his friends happened to run into him at a gas station. He tells his friend about what a dark place he was in. And that set George Floyd on a course to relapse. You know, as I read your book, I I really came to understand what a special man George Floyd was. But I also sort of found myself wondering, was he unique or, or could you have written this kind of book about many other Black men? I think all of us know someone like George Floyd in our lives that you love being around, that can be a little hapless, that things in life have never fully gone their way, but they carry on a spirit of persistence. But one thing that we wanted folks to understand when they read the book, Adrian, is that the institutional hardships and barriers that were presented to George Floyd 
could have happened to almost any Black man living in America. And that's one of the terrifying things about it. Tolu and I, we were very conscientious about how easy it can be to exploit Black pain as if that were the full story. But one of the wonderful things about writing about George Floyd is George Floyd himself, who never stopped trying, who remained persistent, even though he acknowledged those barriers and acknowledged those mistakes. And that is a reason why I think so many people who knew him took up the cause for justice. Well, Tolu Olarunipa and Robert Samuels, thank you for writing this book. Thank you. Thank you for having us and allowing us to share this story. They're the authors of the new book called His Name is George Floyd. It comes out on May 17th.